Welcome to Igor's Moshe A to Z. I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, Moshe Shivan president of Yeshivat Chovei Torah Rabbinical School. We're looking at Kivota of Moshe Feinstein on the topic of organ donation, and in this episode we're going to look at a number of Kivot relating to the issue of heart transplant, and more broadly the question of the halachic definition of the moment of death, and whether brain death is considered to be death. Now, a little background on the issue of heart transplants. December 3rd, 1967 was the world's first human-to-human -human heart transplant. That was done in South Africa and the patient died 18 days later. In January 6, 1968 was the first one in the United States, and from there it went to the UK. And we're going to look at a chuva of Moshe Feinstein from July 1968, so only about seven months after the very first heart transplant in the US. The patients really did not live long. It was a very high mortality rate. Most did not live longer than three months. So by 1970, the medical establishment, led by the American Heart Association, called for a moratorium on heart transplants. There had been at that stage an 85% mortality rate. Now also at that time there was uh, not a clear legal definition of death. Um, so when doctors were taking the heart, there was not a clear test or not a clear definition of how do you define whether the patient you're taking the heart from is considered to be dead. And that ultimately led in August 1968 to the Harvard Ad Hoc Committee, which uh, came up with a, a, what became a legal definition of death. And this really was the idea of brain death, which is the, breath, the death of the full brain, not just the upper brain, you know, the cerebral, but the actual brain stem, which, you know, controlled uh, not only consciousness and thought, but even the autonomous systems of the body. And this was actually accepted by 1981. All states had adopted the Uniform Determination of Death Act. And I'll just read what that states, and it says the following. Any individual who has sustained either one irreversible cessation of circulatory and respiratory function, so the heart and the lungs have stopped working, which had been, you know, mostly the understanding until then, or number two, irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain, including the brainstem. So, of course, that is critical that it is not just the higher brain functions that control consciousness, memory, and personality, but the entire brain, including the brainstem, is dead. A determination of death must be made in accordance with accepted medical standards, and then the questions were, what were the tests to determine that? So that is the legal definition of brain death, including the brain stem. Now also, two years later, there with the uh, advent of the drug cyclosporine, which was an immunosuppressant, that made it much safer to do transplants. And when that entered widespread usage, the survival rates really shot up and then became rapid ex expansion of organ transplants, and of course, together with that, a greater need for organs. So again, let's just review that. The first one was in 1968 in the U.S., and we'll see some chuvos there. The Harvard definition was also 1968, which got adopted in 19. And two years afterwards, with immunosuppressants, heart transplants became really a very viable option. So those dates are important in terms of appreciating the Chuva server of Moshe Feinstein. So we're going to take a look at this. And again, the initial Chuva vote focused much more on the issue of heart transplants themselves without getting into the question of the definition of death. But from there, they have to get to the definition of death, and there are two vote that intersect the two or that directly talk about the halachic definition of death. So the first one we're going to look at is from Yerdea 2.174, and this is dated July 15th, 1968, seven months after the first heart transplant in the U.S. And here's what it reads. The Dava Hashtalas Halev Lechola, 
regarding transplanting a heart for a sick person, Yutet Tammuz Tafshen Chavchet, 1968, July 15th, um, and it is addressed to Yididi Harav Gadol Mufursam, Yitzchak Yaakov Weiss, Gonav Basin of Manchester. So Yitzchak Yaakov Weiss actually is a major, major posek, author of the Minchas Yitzchak, multiple volume of responsa. But of course, this was such a new issue and a hugely weighty issue um, that this was a topic that he wanted to consult with Rav Moshe Feinstein on. And the very first part of, of Rav Moshe's response is he's not even going to discuss any issues, going to look at any sources. He thinks that we have to be very firm, that you can not, you have to forbid heart transplants, and therefore not get into really any discussions which would open up the door for people to question whether this might be permitted or not. He writes, regarding transplanting a heart to a sick person. A number of doctors, individual doctors, have begun to do this. I don't want to start bringing proofs or discuss, you know, discuss uh, logical arguments, get into any detailed discussion. Getting into this, like it might be a fascinating intellectual question, you know, but any type of uh, in-depth discussion of that, who could go rea? So, you know, that's the principle of kolhamosif korea. The more you add in terms of discussing, you're really hurting the, the cause here. Why? So, if you bring a lot of proofs, it seems like it's a, the, the, the matter is a question and that you need to bring proofs. And once you start doing this, no matter how strong your proofs are, the very fact that you needed proofs will allow people to say, you know, okay, there were proofs that way, but you could make other arguments in the other direction. And even if Rav Moshe says, even if they're stupid counter arguments, nevertheless, you are opening, you know, the door a crack. And we have to close this door completely. And people will claim, you know, there could be different halachic opinions. And this is a davar God forbid we should open the door to think that heart transplants might be permissible. We have to slam that door shut and not allow for any discussion. So Rav Moshe says, Therefore, I am going to make a very clear, unequivocal statement. And here he actually writes, you know, something which one imagines he was expecting to be not just an answer to Rav Weiss, but actually something to be an announcement, a proclamation in terms of the halachic's position relating to heart transplants. And here's what he writes. Heart transplants, which doctors have begun to do uh, recently. It is literally the murder of two people, of the person whose heart you're taking and the person whose body you are putting it into. Why? First of all, they're killing the person they took the heart from because he's still alive. Now, this is not telling us anything about the definition of brain death, of halachic death, because remember, that had not yet been even developed in the secular society yet. There was no clear definition yet of the legal definition of death. And Rav Moshe says, so clearly they are not paying attention to any concerns uh, such as those. There's no definition they're working with. And therefore, you are killing the person you are taking it from. 
Not only according to Torah law, we know Torah law, how the definition of death is, and they have not satisfied it. And you know what? If you ask doctors, some will even concede, yeah, you know what? The patient really is still alive, but yeah, he's going to die in a few minutes. He, he doesn't have long to live, and we're sort of going to fudge and say he's already dead. They're not worried that he'll live a few more hours. They want the heart in order to transplant it. So Moshe says, you know, they don't have a clear definition of death, or even worse, they know what death is, and they know it hasn't. This person isn't dead. So number one, you're killing the patient you're taking it from before you have established a clear definition of death. And now you're also killing the patient who you uh, transfer it to. Ramosha says, now you have the patient who has a heart disease, but he might still live months, years, who knows, maybe he'll even live 10 years, and you're going to do a transplant, and that's going to kill him in a few days or in a few months. And then he says, you take his heart and you replace it with another heart. They've all died very soon, some in a number of hours, some in a number of days, and even he says there's one in Africa who's now lived for six months, but everybody expects him to die very soon. So you are taking the heart before the person is legally dead, and you're putting it in someone and thereby shortening his life. Moshe says this isn't a halachic issue. Anybody who just looks at the facts sees that you're taking a heart from somebody before he's dead and putting it in somebody who will die soon after. So he says, you know, how are the secular governments allowing this? And remember, a few years later, they actually stopped allowing it. Once it was you know, there might have been a hope that they would allow it because if it would actually succeed, then, you know, and think about nowadays how many people have lived as a result. But Ramosha says, in the interim, you are allowing, you know, for two murders to take place. And then he says, and even if the patient allows you to take his heart, he says like this, he says, First of all, the doctors should be treated as murderers. Even though the uh, sick people have agreed, excuse me, not to take their heart, but to have their heart transplanted into them. First of all, it's not really informed consent. The doctors have, you know, enticed them to agree to it, even though, you know, if the doctors were being honest, they would they would acknowledge that it's really, you know, a super high risk. And Ramosha says, even if it was informed consent, you agree to have a heart transplant at a time when it's like, you know, you're clearly going to die, you know, within a certain matter of months. So your, you know, your consent doesn't matter. You can't consent to do something that is going to kill you. And here Moshe says, I'm not saying this just to you or if Weiss, I want you to quote exactly these words and I want you to publicize them and say, this is the position of Rav Moshe Feinstein or this is the position of the entire, you know, rabbinic establishment. This is our unequivocal position. It's murder, end of story. Okay, so he is very clear, but the reason that he is so absolute is for the reasons he says. Number one, there's no definition of death that the doctors are working with, or if they are working with the definition, they're cheating and they're not waiting till it's satisfied. And number two, the operation is so risky that effectively it's going to kill the patient. So when those things change, when the operations get to be safer, number one, and number two, when they're established as a definition of death, the Harvard criteria, 
and whole brainstem death, it'll be interesting to see whether his approach will change and how he will define what the halachic definition of death is. Now, in the rest of this tshuva, he says, okay, now I'm just going to talk theoretically about some of the discussion, you know, you sent me without tying it into the practical question about heart transplants. And in Rav Moshe's, like, theoretical discussion where he doesn't directly connect any dots, you start to see the seeds of where he will go in terms of ultimately defining the moment of death. So we're just going to read a couple of lines. Again, he's not bringing this as any proof for anything. He says, I'm not going to discuss trying to prove it. I've made a very absolute statement. But you, you Rav Weiss, sent me your halachic analysis, your discussion. So I'm just going to talk about some localized issues. But as I said, we'll see in this the seeds of where, how he's going to develop his position about brain death. So number one, he says the following. Now I'm going to discuss some of the proofs that, you know, some of the discussions you have. What is the story about a man who's been decapitated and he's still thrashing around? You know, his uh, nervous system is still causing the bodies to move, but he's been decapitated. So from Rambam, it's clear that that person is considered to be a corpse and he communicates the impurity of dead bodies, even though his body is still moving once his head is decapitated. And then he goes through a whole discussion. Do the other Rishonim agree with this? And he says it's possible. You could say that one or two Rishonim disagree. But he says, nevertheless, it's clear that that is the ruling. Even if the body is still thrashing. Once his head is decapitated, he's fully considered dead. So therefore, what's the point of saying this? So this is already indicating one approach to brain death. One approach to saying that brain death halachically is considered death is saying that if the brain is completely not in any communication with the rest of the body, then that is effectively like a decapitation. It's like the head has been cut off. And if the head is cut off, somebody is dead even if the body is moving. So if the brain is not communicating with the rest of the body, even if through artificial means, you know, a ventilator and so on, the lungs are still pumping or the heart still continues on its own for a few hours, that is irrelevant. The person is dead. It's like his head is cut off. Now, that actually is not the approach that Rav Moshe mostly develops, as we'll see. He actually develops a different way, but that is an approach that some want to argue why brain death should be halachically death. The challenge with that is, is that there is still some activity, even with lower brainstem death, you know, some neural activity from the brain, you know, from the, from the head to the rest of the body. So that type of an approach could be questioned if one were to really try this analogy of like the head decapitated. But that's Rav Moshe. Again, he's just discussed theoretically this halacha. He never connects the dots to brain death. Brain death had not yet been a, you know, a, a clear criteria, but we're already seeing a possible approach, certainly one that other posts can picked up. Then Rav Moshe has actually a fascinating line, which seems sort of irrelevant, but I just can't resist passing it up. And Rav Moshe says like this, he says that if somebody has been decapitated, even if it was possible to reconnect the head to the rest of the body, you would not have a halachic obligation to do so. He says, So you could basically bring somebody back to life. They've been decapitated, and they're dead, halachically, and now you can connect their head back and you'd bring them back to life. Rav Moshe says, 
not only are you not allowed to violate Shabbos for this, there's no halachic obligation. The halachic obligation is to heal somebody who is alive. It is not to resurrect somebody who is dead, which is a fascinating idea. You would think that anything that would sort of bring life into this world would be in the category of pikuach nefesh. Now, maybe not. I mean, you know, you can't violate Shabbos if for the sake of fertility treatments. Like maybe there's rabbinic issues that you could override, but not biblical ones, even though that's about bringing life into this world. But still, it's quite fascinating that Rav Moshe says that this would not be considered pikuach nefesh. And he goes on with a whole discussion relating to that. Again, does not seem directly relevant, but just still a fascinating point that was worth mentioning. Now, in the next part, Rav Moshe deals with the question about, should we say that nowadays, even if we were to come up with a criteria of death, that we are not expert enough to be able to feel confident that we are measuring it correctly. And this is relating to a ruling. The Gemara says that if a mother dies in childbirth and the baby is still in the womb, once the mother is dead, you can actually cut open the womb to take out the baby and save the baby's life, um, as long as you're not possibly hastening the death of the mother once the mother's already dead. And the Ramah says, yeah, but nowadays we don't know how to exactly determine the moment of death of the mother, and therefore we're not allowed to do this. So one might want to infer from that that we're never allowed to sort of confidently rely on a test for death, uh, especially if it would relate to taking out, let's say, the heart of somebody. So if you take that approach, obviously it will close off the possibility of ever doing a heart transplant. So if Moshe disagrees with this, and he basically says that that's not true, that that really is because the way that the death was always determined halachically, and this is important to take a step back and realize what was the halachic standard of death and how brain death comes into the conversation, uh, the halachic standard of death had always been the question of, is somebody breathing? And the way that that would be tested is you would basically put a feather by the person's nose, and if there was no movement, um, you would know that the person wasn't breathing. Now, of course, it could be that the breathing was very shallow. Maybe they're not breathing for the moment that you're doing the test. Shrav Moshe says either you have to test, you know, with completely focused, you know, for a few minutes, or you have to test periodically over a period of time to make sure the person is actually not breathing. And that's why we're not able to hasten uh, the death and to cut open the mother to get the baby is because it's going to take time till we feel confident that the mother is actually dead. We have to do a series of these tests. But it's not because we feel that we can never have any test to determine. It's just the you know, the problem of the confidence in this test of the feather and whether you can determine that all at once. So again, the relevance of this is, were there to be a test that we could feel confident of, you know, then we would have no problem cutting up the mother to take out the baby or cutting up a body in order to take out the heart. So he's really laying this groundwork. He's introduced this idea of cutting off the head, although that won't be his focus. And he's basically also introduced the idea that if we do have a good test, you can be confident about it and it will allow you to cut open the body. You don't have to worry about hastening the death. And the only issue is that some tests like the feather, you would have to do over a period of time. And then Rav Moshe just makes one last point that we're going to quote in this tshuva, and that's the following. So this is actually an issue, which is somebody really is, if you were to leave him alone, would die. But the doctors will keep this person artificially alive um, in order to be able to harvest the organs for a transplant. So let's even put aside the question of whether, you know, of legal death, let's say they keep him alive for an extra hour, 
and then they allow him to die, and then they remove the, the organs. Shrav Moshe says, you know, that's not allowed. He says, if by extending the life, you're actually causing him to continue suffering, that's forbidden. And this is the flip side of the Chuvas of Rav Moshe we saw, that why you're allowed to not intervene and let somebody die, rather than to try to extend their life, you know, if somebody's in the process of dying. And Rav Moshe says it's because we don't want to extend a life that's a terminal life that's just going to be in pain. So here he says, you're actually, not only are you allowed to step aside and let the person die, in this case you're not allowed to extend the life if you're just extending a life of pain and the patient was ready to die and you're just doing it for the sake of harvesting the organs. So that actually is an interesting question about, you know, that could impact, again, even if you have a legal definition of death, sometimes you might not be ready to harvest the organs and how this might play out in terms of keeping a person alive. So Rav Moshe says that if that's going to mean extending a life with suffering, that will be a problem. If the person is completely unconscious or even worse than unconscious, you know, basically brain dead and there's no suffering, so that would be a different issue. Okay, so here he has laid out again some planted some seeds, but he really doesn't want to discuss the issue at all. And again, there has not even been a secular definition of brain death. He has said that there are tests that we're able to rely on, and he has said that if a person is not yet dead, then you cannot extend their life. Of course, once a person is dead, um, and then you keep, let's say, the heart pumping, if once they're legally dead, that would not be a problem. But if they're not yet dead, extending the life would not be an issue. So now we look at another tshuva jumping ahead a good 10 years from Igris Moshe Choshen Mishpat 272, March 10th, 1978. And this tshuva really doesn't say anything new. What's significant about it is that it's 10 years later. And he says, um, and this is written into Rav Kalman Kahana, um, I'm not feeling well, so that I'm sorry for taking a few days to get back to you. And he, I've already responded by telegram that our transplants are forbidden. It's killing, you know, two, two people, both the person whose heart you're taking, the patient you're transferring it to. And then he goes on and says, I've already discussed this whole thing. And my son-in-law, the Chosnia Ravagon Moshe Tendler, David Tendler, Rag Gam Kolha Journalim, he saw all these journals. Nothing is better as far as heart transplants are concerned, and therefore nothing has changed. Now, this really is only significant because it's 10 years later, um, and he's not he's keeping by his position. But remember that we had said that the actual success of heart transplants came five years after this, in 1983. So it still is an extremely high-risk surgery, and therefore Rav Moshe is not prepared to change his position about heart transplants. How he might be feeling about definition of brain death is something we will see. But at this point, it is largely moot because heart transplants and themselves are just considered way too risky. Now we move on to start looking at tshuva that directly relate to this question about the criteria of brain death. And we start from a letter that really should make it very clear what Rav Moshe's position is. Because I will say that it, it seems to quite clearly emerge from the tshuva of Rav Moshe, we've already seen him plant the seeds, that he rules that brain death is considered halachically to be death. And nevertheless, there is a debate amongst later rabbis what Rav Moshe's actual position is. And in particular, you know, uh, Rav Moshe Davitendler his son-in-law, and Rav Moshe's even son, said very clearly that Rav Moshe says that brain death is halachic definition of death, whereas, you know, Rav David Bleich um, and
and others have said, absolutely not, he never said that, and so on. And his chuvot are a little complicated, we will get to them, but this chuva in, in Yardea 454 seems completely unequivocal. Um, and let's take a look at this. So this is Yordea 454, and it is from 1985. 1981, you will remember, is when the Harvard criteria was basically accepted into law. That was the uniform determination of debt. So this is four years later. So this is from Yordea 454, and it's again from 1985, and it reads as follows. Fiat et hamavet, establishing the moment of death. Pretty clear. So this is the grandson of Rav Yosef Breuer, who, you know, started the Breuer community in Washington Heights, following in Rav Hirsch's community from Germany, and this is his grandson, Dr. Bandi. And he, this is broken up into a number of sections, but the first section is very straightforward, and the following, Is brain death halachically considered death? So he says, Mordechai Tendler, my grandson of Mordechai Tendler, Moshe Tendler's son, So, you know, he has discussed with me these issues in detail, and he says, given that the government in New York has ruled that, you know, brain death is considered death, like we said, that was 1981. So, so it's been ruled in secular law that brain death is death. So Moshe says, as a matter of practical ruling, what I heard from my son-in-law, Rav Moshe David Tendler, the, halach, the definition of brain death that has been accepted in uh, secular law actually is correct according to halacha as well. Harvard criteria, the definition of the Harvard criteria, so obviously we're not talking about, you know, all definitions of brain death, not just like, you know, higher brain, but even lower brain, even brain stem, etc., whole brain death. So that Harvard criteria, that is correct as a matter of halacha. And that's considered like he's been decapitated. Um, because the brain is basically already, you know, disintegrated. Um, so Rav Moshe says here, yes, that's correct, and he uses the reason of decapitation, as we'll see in another chuva, which goes at much greater length, he sort of brackets decapitation, and that's not as helpful as we've said, um, given that reality that A, it's an analogy, and B, that it's not completely physically severed, but even in terms of some forms of of communication not completely severed from the rest of the body. Now Rav Moshe points out, even though the heart can still pump if you continue to have a ventilator and have the lungs working, as long as there's no spontaneous breathing, he's considered dead. And as I've explained in my other tshuva, which is in Yerdea 3.132, which we'll look at at a minute. So here we have a very short, unambiguous tshuva. He does signal two reasons to consider brain death death. One is this decapitation analogy, and the other is lack of spontaneous breathing. I'll discuss that in a minute. That seems to be the one he's going to focus on more in his other two vote. But before we get into the reasons, like, how could there be any debate in terms of Rav Moshe's position? He says explicitly, we go by the Harvard criteria. So, believe it or not, there are people who say this letter is a forgery. This was printed um, after his death, and they just you know, don't accept that Rav Moshe actually wrote this letter. There's no real basis to say that other than a refusal to accept the consequences of that. And Rav David Feinstein, Rav Moshe's uh, son, forcefully rejected those claims. 
And he said he heard directly from Rav Moshe that we follow the Harvard criteria. And here's a quote from Rav David Feinstein. He says, to clarify the matter, if the patient is lying motionless like a corpse, even if the heart is beating, since he is not breathing spontaneously, he is completely dead. Like the last words of Rav Moshe, if there's no spontaneous breathing, he is considered to be illegally dead. And that is happens when there is a brain death. So this really should end the discussion. But again, people have raised questions about the authenticity of this letter. It comes in a much later volume of Rav Moshe, published after he died. And we're going to now go see some of the earlier vote where it's not as black and white, but really the same position does emerge from a close read of those two votes. And I should also add that it was known amongst those close to Rav Moshe that once the success rate of heart transplants improved in the 1980s, he would allow people to actually get heart transplants. So an honest reading of the sources, even as we've seen till now, is that Rav Moshe went by the brain death criteria, but we're going to look a little bit more into one or two two votes to get a sense why that is. Now we've already explained the decapitation logic. Let's talk about this other idea about the spontaneous pre so first, what is important to do is to understand what happens um, in terms of heart transplants. When the brain stops, there's total brain death, so then the body stops breathing. It can still be made to breathe by putting the body on a ventilator and basically pumping oxygen into the lungs, but the body no longer is breathing on its own. Even when the body stops breathing on its own, the heart can still continue to beat on its own, even when the person is brain dead. However, eventually it will stop because of loss of oxygen. So what doctors do who want to do a heart transplant is you rule that the person is dead because of brain death. The person has stopped breathing. You keep the lungs pumping by putting the person on a ventilator. So you keep the heart oxygenated, which gives you the time to get ready to do the transplant and then to take the heart, which you're legally allowed to do because the person is already dead because they're brain dead. Um, so that's how it basically works. Now, to say that that works according to halacha, the first thing you'd have to say is that a pumping heart is not sufficient to consider the person alive because the heart is still pumping. And there are those that will basically say that that's a definition of, of life. If the heart is pumping, the person is alive. Put that aside. So Rav Moshe says, look, the basic definition halachically of the way, if you remember from an earlier tshuva, that we always considered something to be uh, determined if a person is living or dead is are they breathing or not? Now, you could breathe because you're pumping air into them, but they're not breathing on their own. There's no spontaneous breathing. And that has always traditionally been the definition of life or death, according to halacha. So that's why Rav Moshe is saying, forget the issue of the brain. Put the brain aside. The brain is, you know, the reality is once there's brain death, there's no spontaneous breathing. And if there's no spontaneous breathing, then the person is halakhically considered dead. So these are two ways to get to the brain death criteria. One is the analogy to decapitation, and the other is to focus on the fact that once there's brain death, there's no autonomous spontaneous breathing. In this short uh, letter, Rav Moshe mentions both points. And the quote from Rav David Feinstein certainly emphasizes the spontaneous breathing, and that's what's going to come up from the next tshuva. And that's very important as a matter of halacha, because even as I mentioned, even though there might be some communication between the brain and the rest of the body, even with lower brain stem death, there still clearly is no autonomous breathing. And that then becomes the definition. And that completely is consistent with the Harvard criteria. So let's look at two other Chuvat of Rav Moshe, which are a little more complicated. We'll try to get to their core points and see how this focus on spontaneous breathing. Okay, so Rav Moshe has been saying that the issue is about spontaneous breathing, and that's the only halachic definition um, that is meaningful, and brain death just creates that reality that there's no spontaneous breathing. 
But now he actually tries to make this a little more precise because he asks an obvious question, like, why should spontaneous breathing by itself be a question if somebody's alive or dead? Let's say, for example, somebody's lungs have collapsed or some local problem in their body that they're not able to breathe, but they're totally conscious and alive and their heart is beating and so on. We wouldn't say that that person is dead. So now Rav Moshe is going to say, you know, it's true. It's not just the breathing. It's a collection of things. And let's take a look at how he explains this. He says, He says, let's be honest. He says, it's not like your nose is what makes you alive. You know, it's not that somehow the, the apparatus of breathing is what gives you life. I mean, it's part of a collection of, uh, you know, parts of your body that give you, that allow you to live. You know, it's not considered halachically to be a part of your body that is considered that your life is dependent on. Now, your lungs are, but not your nose. He says, listen, it's the heart and the brain. It's interesting, he doesn't mention the lungs. The heart and the brain that give life, right? Your brain makes you conscious, controls the body. The heart pumps the blood through the body. Those are the things that, you know, as a biological system, make you alive. And that also allows you to breathe. The fact that your body is operating through your heart and your brain. So your nose is just the way in which your breathing takes place, but it's ultimately it's not that the apparatus of breathing is the central definition of life. Ramosha says that we determine your breathing through the nose, but it's not the nose, number one, that makes you breathe, which is obvious, but it's also not the breath per se that is the only sort of definition. Okay, the verse says, you know, if there's a soul of the breath of life in somebody's nose, it's not talking about the real breath of life. The air that comes out of your nose is not the breath of life. That's not in your nose. So, you know, they're nevertheless through the nose, we determine if a person is breathing, but that is not really the spirit of life. So this is a little complicated paragraph. And what is Rav Moshe really getting at? So Rav Moshe is saying, and he clarifies in a later tshuva, the significance of this, that it is not the breathing all by itself. If that were true, then again, if there was just a localized problem of breathing, the person would be considered to be dead. It really is the fact that their body has multiple systems, of which the breathing is central to the definition of life and death, and that's the way it's always been tested. But that's only significant when the breathing has stopped, when it's part of the rest of the body's systems shutting down. When it's part of the brain and the heart and so on all shutting down, then the lack of spontaneous breathing tells us that that person is dead. Um, but if it is just something that is localized, then you would not define somebody as dead as a result of that. Um, and then Rav Moshe goes on in his tshuva to reject this idea that the definition of life or death is in terms of the heart. Um, as we said, the people that reject this idea of brain death and reject the idea that it's just about spontaneous breathing, say the heart per se is a definition of life. And Rav Moshe rejects this, and he says that's not true. Some want to read the Chacham Tzvi, who has a whole tshuva about this, to say that the heart is sufficient definition of life. I reject that. He, in an earlier part of the tshuva, says it's true if the EKG tells you the heart is still working, you need to be concerned that the person's other f systems of the body might still be working. 
but that the heart itself is not part of the halachic definition. So what do we have so far? Again, it's a little complicated, but what we have so far is a tshuva, where, a letter where he basically says, Harvard criteria. And he mentions two ideas. One is decapitation, and the other is spontaneous breathing. And in this tshuva that we're looking at right now, he makes it very clear that the brain per se is not the definition. The heart per se is not the definition. It's all about the spontaneous breathing. But in a very bizarre way, it's all about the spontaneous breathing, but not just that as a localized phenomenon. It's when the heart and the brain and everything else is sort of collapsing, you know, the system is shutting down, then if the person is not spontaneous breathing, they're dead. It's sort of the last way of determining in the process of dying that that person is dead. So it's not the, none, no, any one of those per se, the focus is on the spontaneous breathing, but it's part of a collection of the body sort of shutting down. And that's what he sort of discusses in one last tshuva in Yordaya 3.132 from 1976. Moshe deals again with this issue of breathing, and again pointing out how it is part of a larger shutdown of the systems, and that's when the lack of breathing is considered to define the person as dead. And he deals with the following case. He says, let's say you have a person who's just, you know, dying in the hospital, and they need a ventilator, but it's not clear have they stopped breathing or have not stopped breathing, and are they able to breathe on their own? And this is a famous tshuva of Rav Moshe where he says you can put them on the ventilator, and then you'll have to determine one minute, you know, do they still have the ability to be autonomously breathing? And, you know, you can't take them off the ventilator that might kill them. So Moshe talks about waiting till you have to switch the oxygen tanks and then you'll see if they're breathing on their own. Of course, nowadays you don't switch any oxygen tanks, so that's not possible. But anyway, the point for us actually, so that's quite relevant in terms of somebody, not the brain death case, somebody just naturally dying who needs to be put on a, on a ventilator when you can take them off the ventilator and whether that person is still alive or not. But what, what emerges from there is, again, this idea that autonomous breathing is the definition of life or death if somebody is dying naturally. And then he goes on to say, but if it's a localized problem, it's not going to be the definition. That's somebody who's like, you know, sick and in the process of dying. The accident, cars, people who are in some car accident, you know, or they fell out of a window, and, you know, and they have a local thing that is preventing them from breathing. Shrav Moshe says, that has affected your heart, your lungs, and your, you know, your, your, the actual organs that do the breathing, because of that they can't breathe. But then you put them on a ventilator and then they'll get better and they will be able to breathe, or even if they have to be on a ventilator their whole life, they're obviously still alive. So again, Rav Moshe is repeating this idea that autonomous breathing, right, that's the definition, but not when it's a localized problem. When it's part of the heart and the brain and everything in the body shutting down, then the lack of ability to breathe autonomously, that is the moment that we see that that person is considered dead. So what we have seen from these various vote is that Rav Moshe was against heart transplant, very black and white, but that was when it was a highly dangerous uh, surgery, even for the recipient, and when there was not a clear definition of death. Once there was a clear definition of death, we have seen three vote that basically all make it clear that one goes by the brain death criteria. One which is completely unequivocal, which is a short letter that says we go by the Harvard criteria, gives two reasons, the decapitation analogy and the autonomous breathing. 
And what we have seen in the other two to vote is the real emphasis on the autonomous breathing, that the brain is not per se the measure. It really is that Chazal did not focus on that, really is the autonomous breathing, but not that all by itself either. If it was a localized problem, it would not be an issue. But if the person actually is dying and the rest of their body is basically shutting down, then we know that they are dead when they are no longer able to breathe um, autonomously. David Feinstein, his son, has made it clear that this was Rav Moshe's position. And again, Rav Moshe it is known has allowed people to do a heart transplant. So this is a quite significant position, not just relate to heart transplant, but really the fundamental issue of the halachic definition of death. It is not a position that is accepted by many Haredim. They do not accept this definition of death as to be a brain death, maybe because it feels too modern. Um, again, although with Rav Moshe, he's ultimately going back to the the Gemara's definition of the ability to breathe, and it is still a major issue of uh, debate. The RCA many years ago ruled following Rav Moshe that this was the halachic definition of death. About a few years ago, they seemed to backtrack from that or raise questions about that, and this is obviously has huge issues in terms of end of life, and as we've seen, people will question what Rav Moshe's position is because the true vote where he gets into the details are a little complicated. But at the end of the day, it seems unequivocal that this is Rav Moshe's position, this way, he actually is aligned with where contemporary science is on this and has had huge implications in terms of, number one, being able to take somebody off of life support, also very critical. And rather than um, continuing to sort of use all the hospital's resources once the person is brain dead, and number two, to allow for uh, organ transplant to both be an organ donor and an organ recipient. So we look forward to seeing you next time when we move from the letter O to the letter P. And uh, thank you for listening. All the best. Thanks for listening to Igros Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dove Linzer, now celebrating over 10,000 listens. This podcast is brought to you by Yeshivat Chovavei Torah and is a project of the Lindenbaum Center for Halachic Studies. With close to 150 rabbis in the field, YCT is leading and inspiring Klal Israel with a Torah that is nuanced, compassionate, and contemporary. Check out yctorah.org to learn more. Thank you.